0: Hi, everybody. I'm Patrick McEnroe, and this is Holding Court. All right, time for another special edition, everyone, of Holding Court. I promised uh, my listeners that I was not going to stand down as many in the uh, mainstream media have told me not many just a few on this Peng Shui story so the story of course continues to have twists and turns Uh, I'm very very lucky and very honored to have on with me this morning Captain Corey Ray who served in the Navy for over 25 years and 25 years as a flyer for the last six years he's been assigned to the National War College in Washington D.C. Um, and I appreciate you very much, Corey, coming on with me. I know you have a lot of expertise in this area, particularly in in how sports and politics converge uh, in the modern world.
1: Patrick, thank you for the invitation. I'm excited to be a guest on your show. Uh, Let me first say that the return of tennis and your play-by-play has lent a sense of normalcy to the chaotic COVID world. So I appreciate you and tennis, Lyndon, getting us back a little bit to normal. Appreciate it.
0: So your mission in the National War College now is to prepare senior military officers and civilian government officials how to develop national security strategy. So obviously that's, uh, that encompasses a whole lot uh, and probably out of my wheelhouse. But what is in my wheelhouse, uh, Corey, is what you've done in the last four years there, which is developed and teaching a course focusing on national security strategy uh, and strate- in the strategic world and how that relates to sports. Uh, And obviously, this Peng Shui situation, I know you were out in front talking about this issue as it relates to the Olympics six, eight months ago. Uh, And now, of course, the president announcing that uh, he will not send any diplomatic uh, people to the Olympics, which I guess is is not a huge surprise. But where do you see how this has all gone down and particularly as it relates to Peng Shui and the situation with her in China?
1: Uh, Patrick, let me start off with uh, first with a real quick disclaimer. I'm still an active duty Navy captain. Uh, the opinions and views that I'll present today are my own. I'm not representing the Department of Defense or the Navy or the National War College. So uh, again, these are based on my own research. Uh, but over to your question, I would say that um, the, the Peng Shui uh, issue has really forced China's hands on uh, how they want to present themselves to the world. Um, a little detail on the course I teach, uh, I develop and teach a course focusing on national security and strategic logic through the lens of sports. Okay. Mm-hmm. What this means in practical terms is what are the assumptions, what are the desired end states, and corresponding ways and means required to achieve the set end states. And then ultimately, do the selected ways, have a coherent chance of achieving the end states. So there's kind of two strategies at work here. On the one side, there's the Chinese strategy of trying to, Keep quiet, Hong Shui. Uh, then we'll get into those details. And on the other side, you have the current uh, presidential administration that has decided on a approach of, of a diplomatic boycott to send a signal uh, to China that they don't agree with uh, their, their human rights issues. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it makes total sense. I guess, Mike, you know, this is this is all happening. I mean, you're you're obviously teaching a class that's that uh, we got a lot of theory behind it. And, and like you said, assumptions, and then you're looking for what's going to happen. And, and, and with this case, it's, this is happening right now. I mean, this is real time. This is, you know, Australia just announcing that they're going to follow suit with the U S this just came out in the last 24 hours. So, uh I know in listening to some of your previous podcasts and some of the things you've written that that you believe there should be uh, or could be a full boycott of the Olympics in China. So where do you see where things stand right now at this second?
1: So I would, uh, I w- I would offer that right now we're, we have said we're going to diplomatically boycott. What does that mean? That means that the U.S., government has decided they are not going to send any officials to represent the U.S. government either at the opening ceremonies or the closing ceremonies. As you mentioned, Australia looks like they're following suit, and I believe I just recently read that the U.K. is also considering a ministerial boycott uh, of of Beijing 22. So if we were to step back and look at the history of boycotts and look at their effectiveness, I think that's the the first place we need to start. So we can look at the immediate future and say, okay, What what do we usually send? Obviously, in uh, Tokyo, uh, just a few months ago, we didn't send anybody because of COVID. Before that, in in 2018, Pyeongchang, we sent the vice president. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the Winter Olympics before that, uh, in Sochi in 2014, uh, we did sort of a boycott. Uh, The President Obama decided not to send any formal uh, U.S. representatives, although I believe it's Deputy Secretary of State, was sent, but this is personal to you. Billy Jean King led the delegation. Right. To Sochi. That's I if, right. I don't know if you recall that, right?
0: I do recall so that. That was, yeah. that was powerful, that
1: too. Was, that was a, exactly. Right? Yeah. That's a powerful message, uh, to tell yeah. Russia, hey, we don't agree with the way you, your LGBT, uh, policy, right? Right. Um, and so when you think about it, what are we, what are we not doing as compared to the past? I think there is sort of a trend where we've either sent the vice president to a key ally, I don't know what the original plan was for, uh, for Beijing. I don't know if the vice president, I'm sure the ambassador, the U.S. ambassador to China was probably going to go at some level, but I doubt the president was going to attend. And so while, uh, while this is a message and, and something needed to be done, it's not necessarily out of the extreme norm, right? It sort of happened before. Uh, this would be a diplomatic boycott. But if you really want to look at an entire boycott, you really got to go back to 1980 and the U.S. boycott of the Soviet Union, right? Uh, that, that included the athletes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, what, what I've argued is a government-directed boycott of the athletes is really not the way to go, right? Um, it, it really doesn't, it doesn't involve the athletes. The athletes don't get to choose. Uh, that's not the way the, our country works. We're a free market of sports. If they want to participate, they should be able to participate. However, I would argue uh, the WTA's uh, basically economic boycott of China right now is is emblematic of a what could happen with a larger athlete-led boycott. Mm-hmm. So I, I would offer if the all of the international athletes were to band together and say we're not going to participate in China, that is a powerful message, right? That it's got to come to me. It's got to come from the athletes, top down from the government. Uh, I I don't really think you're going to affect any change, right? As a strategy, uh, you're trying to change Chinese behaviors, and I would offer. While something needs to be done, and the, the presidential administration is, is spot on with what they're doing, uh, again, as, as a military member, I'm in no position to criticize uh, the president. But something needed to be done, and this is probably what we're going to see. How will it affect China, I don't expect a large amount of change to be truthful.
0: Captain Corey Ray joining me here on Holding Court, and uh, when when I look at the the bigger picture from a, just from a tennis standpoint, Corey. Uh, Obviously, tennis goes all over the world, right? I mean, tennis is an international sport. There's players from all over the world. Uh, many of my listeners wish there were more top American players, right, particularly on the men's side, but that <laughs> at the moment is, uh, is not the case. So, But the point is it's an international sport, people coming from all different backgrounds, obviously different cultures, different governments. Uh, so the ATP, you know, I've, I've called on the ATP tour, which runs the men's tour, to join the WTA, which they have been reluctant to do up until this point. They've said the usual sort of fluff statement, well, we support the WTA, we'd like to see, you know, make sure Peng Shui is safe, et cetera. It's a little bit like the IOC track that they're taking right now, which is, oh, we think she, you know, she's okay, but we're not going to ruffle the feathers too much. I mean, we're not going to pull out of obviously the Olympics or for the ATP, for the, for the men's tour events that are happening there. There's still that veil threat that that could happen. Um, Is there a tipping point? You, do you think that could happen or is it just, it seems to me China, I'm not going to say they're winning because they're getting a lot of attention. And this story uh, is not going away just yet, but they may be saying, well, okay, we don't need women's tennis here from an economic standpoint. We're, we'll be just fine. We're China. We've got the second biggest economy in the world. So, And the NBA played ball with China, I think, in the same way that the IOC has, putting profits over values, essentially. Um, but it, it it's, it's tricky, isn't it? Because how do you, uh, you know, for tennis, which is so international, and we, we could make the argument... That going to other parts of the world, right? Other part, Middle Eastern countries, for example, uh, that have certain cultures and, and values that are certainly a lot different from the American values and, and systems of government. So, so what is the what's the right next step for whether it's a, a sports organization, the IOC, or the uh, the ATP tour?
1: Patrick, I would offer that it really needs to be an international approach to to dealing with China or countries where you don't necessarily agree with their human rights. Right. So, for example, you know, uh, while it's easy uh, to hammer on the NBA and say, Hey, look, I can't believe that you as a, as a values based organization are broadcasting your rights and making money off the Chinese market and your players have shoe contracts uh, on the flip side, we we all have iPhones and we all have electronics from China and they make our life easier. They make our life better. And so how do you hold one particular industry, specifically the sports industry, ultimately accountable for all your disagreements with China, but you're really not holding the rest of corporate America Mm -hmm. uh, accountable, accountable, right? So it's 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 very difficult as you mentioned, Uh, if you were to look at it in analytical strategic terms, uh, what you have here is what we call conflicting interests. Uh, Specific, you know, we can look at the, the WTA, right? They have an economic interest, right? The WTA as a representative of its players, is there to help their players make money and become economically prosperous, right? Capitalism is in the DNA of America. You know, Chris Fenton, one of your previous guests, has mentioned that right. time and again. And I fully concur with him. Um, but on the other side, we, we also have an interest of values, And really what this comes down to is you, what you're seeing is individual organizations uh, prioritize those interests. And in the case of the WTA, They've come out and said, hey, look, as a values based organization, right? Gender equality, gender rights, uh, we think that suspending operations, uh, in China helps us achieve our ultimate interests of value, right? And again, I'm not judging the NBA or Apple mm-hmm. Computer or anybody else. Right. Uh, they decided that said, hey, look, you know, as it is right now, we're, we're prioritizing our economic interests. And you could say this for probably 99% of American corporations globally uh, that, that they've done that and it, we've become so entwined and there was an expectation that when China did enter the World Trade Organization that opening trade with China would would uh, you know kind of coerce them into you know coming into the liberal international order and, and changing and adapting those human rights and, and things like that and updating their policies to reflect uh, our current times. Unfortunately that did not happen. That was an assumption that was made. I believe, back in the uh, Bush administration, uh, Bush 43, when they joined the WTO. Uh, you'll have to check my dates on that one. But um, that assumption proved to be false. And now we are looking at what do we do now, to your point? What do we do now? China did not quite uh, change to where we thought they were going to change by trading with them, but we are fully intertwined in trade with them and, and just totally you know, cutting t- economic ties with with, with China would be, would be bad for everybody. So, um, you know, looking through the lens of sports, you know, how can we use sports potentially as a way uh, to force some change in China? And, and, and kudos to the, to, the, to the WTA. I would offer this. Um, it's, it's always exciting to say, hey, look, this is a moment, this is an inflection point. But if you look at women's sports right now, it's kind of interesting on how they're leading uh, in the values-based interest. Um, you've had, I believe, women's soccer teams walk out during a game uh, because they're protesting uh, s- uh, sexual harassment. You've had WNBA teams uh, basically remove a leader. I mean, remove an owner
0: mm-hmm. because they
1: disagreed with her, uh, with her politics. And again, I'm not judging whether any of those things are right or wrong. I'm not taking sides in the politics. It's just that uh, we do have a few recent instances where the women really are leading the way uh, on, making polit- on, on making political change. And I, and I think that's really interesting to watch right now.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting, and uh, I mean, what do you make as somebody who obviously has paid a lot of attention to to sports and to China and, and just to this whole chain of events? I just want to get a little bit into just Peng Shui personally. I, you, know, you know that I have a connection with her. I actually coached her on a team tennis team when she first came into the U.S. as a teenager, so I know her pretty well. Actually, I mean, obviously, I'm very concerned about her well-being just as, as a as a person in her world, in the tennis world. She was very well-liked, well-respected, very um, bubbly-type personality, even when she spoke very little English when she first came uh, on the road playing professional tennis. But when you look at how, you know, because I've done a little bit of research on so the way China has handled this, and it's, it sounds like from the other experts I've talked to that this is just straight out of the playbook of how they handle things like this. But when you when you look at it from that standpoint, sort of as a non-tennis person, but someone that obviously knows way more about politics and, and government actions than I do, what, what's been your reaction to just the last six weeks of how this has transpired and how the, you know the different releases, the video releases... Uh, the, the IOC saying, oh, we've had now two video calls. What do you make of how this has all gone down? So
1: I've been taking kind of an analytical approach to it, right? Again, going back to that analytical strategy. So one of, the, one of the ways that you achieve an interest is through power. And so we have multiple instruments of power. For example, we've got the military instrument of power. We've got the economic instrument of power. But one that's uh, underutilized, uh, but China uses very well, is called the information instrument of power. And I would offer as a strategy when China tried to keep her quiet and make this go away, they made an assumption that it would go away, right? They're going to use that information. They're just say, hey, we're going to squash this. Uh, we're going to, we're going to like um, I believe Miss Chow, one of your previous guests, talked about how they manipulate the media, right? In um, and their in and their social media and things like that, they can just make it go away, right? We're going to make an assumption that this is going to go away. This information is not going to get out. Well, for them, that assumption turned out to be wrong. I think um ms shui's uh social media circle the community she has built uh has rallied around her in a way that uh, china was not expecting so china to me right now and again i'm not the china expert your, your previous guests are mm-hmm. but what i've observed is they are definitely in in react mode right usually they are ahead of things right with their information they they get way ahead right we're going to squash this uh we're to we're going to cut this feed we're going to do do whatever the case may be right um for this, though, I think they're in react mode. And I think they may be in kind of some uncharted territory right now where there is isn't a building international community that wants answers. And, and I don't know that China's ever been in this position before where they are forced to provide answers. Up until this point, they've been able to manipulate the situation enough where it has gone away or it's been glossed over. You know, even even the Uyghurs to this point, they really haven't been held accountable answer for those. You know, hey, let in some international observers. Let's go check the conditions. But it is certain to see the international community rallying around Hong Shui and say we, we would like some answers. And, and we want to we want to know that she's not being coerced and that she's safe. And again, I think the WTA has led this and, and, and again kudos to them.
0: Yeah Steve Simon of course the the head of the WTA Tour has done an unbelievable job. We've seen him on a couple of shows as well and uh you know, what I was thinking too, Corey, as this was unfolding was, uh, you know, when that first video came out from from the IOC and Peng Shui, I was like, well, it, 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 to your point, at least they're doing something, right? They are, they're reacting. So in my view, this, um, you know, and, and again, this is in my little small world, in my little podcast and so on and going on any show that will ask me, it's like, I'm going to do my small part to try to keep this out there because it seems like the, the, people speaking up is actually having an effect and at the end of the day that's that's kind of what we want because as you said it's impossible to think that the the economics and you know the the intertwined nature of uh the global economy of what we do and what china does that that's that's, you know we're going to flick a switch and turn it off that can't happen obviously but there's got to be doesn't there has to be some way to make them at least change a little bit isn't that can't that be possible? Isn't isn't is is that the end game?
1: I would offer, short of armed conflict, ec- economics is probably the only way that you're going to realistically get China to change, right? Some sort, and it's got to be ex- it's got to be coordinated external pressure, kind of linking back to what I talked about. I talked about with an athlete-led boycott. It's got to be the international community putting economic pressure on China. I, I, from what I've observed so far, I just don't see them significantly changing uh based on on something like feng shui if if you recall back in the 2008 uh, beijing olympics when they hosted they made some short-term changes right so Mm -hmm. when when the international media came it was very well run it's like hey great china we're making some positive changes uh but as soon as the olympics were over you know it returned back to business as normal and so my concern is if when the, when the, when Peng Shui issue goes away or the Olympics are over, this does not remain in the spotlight and that international coalition of pressure goes away. It, it really needs to stay on the forefront. It's got to be continuous. Uh, it, again, other than economic pressure, I just don't see a, a way that China is going to change. Unfortunately,
0: you've said, uh, here right with me. And again, I appreciate you so much giving me the time cause I know you got lots of things happening. Um, that this should that this should come from the athletes themselves. I I I have a little problem with that, Corey. I mean, not the problem, and, and my issue is as a former athlete myself. Like you said, we're we're sort of pawns in this game. Um, but I've always felt that the organizations. That's where I think the WTA does such a great job. They obviously did their homework. They did, Steve Simon talked to the board. I'm sure he talked to multiple players. I've seen a lot of. Um, social media tweets from male players saying hey this is the ATP needs to do more they haven't done enough I, so so i feel like the athletes need someone to lead them You know, whether it's, you say that it's tricky with their government. Obviously, I get that. Uh, I look at the companies involved in the Olympics, supporting the Olympics. There hasn't been a peep out of any of them when it comes to their support of the Olympic Games in China. Obviously, that's what China wants. That's what the IOC wants. So do you think that it's, uh, there's any way that more organizations can do what the WTA is doing, whether it's a sports organization or a big time company?
1: You make a great point, Patrick, and I would offer this: I would offer starting in 1968, to a degree, when you had Tommy Smith and John Carlos uh, in Mexico City, right. that the power of pro- the power of protest, I would offer, is shifting to the athletes, mm-hmm. and, and I am using the term athletes and federation interchangeably. I am I am assuming that the WTA represents its athletes. So, right. for example, I doubt the WTA is going to suspend. Economic opportunity in China without talking to its athletes. I I I think that would be disingenuous for your representative to say, Hey, look, we're going to suspend operations, and I didn't even talk to the athletes. So to me, there is leadership at the federation level, um, right? Whether it's uh, North American Soccer, whether it's the WTA, whether it's the NBA, and they are representing their athletes. But to me, look domestically, right? The power of protest has really shifted to the athletes and away from the owners. And away from potentially the IOC or the country. I mean, just look—just uh, within the last four to five years. I would offer that you, as the athlete,
0: mm.
1: have the power, and then that needs to be represented represented through your federation, right? So that is right. that is the W that is the WTA tennis players banding together, you know, and saying, "Look, we want the WTA to come out with this official policy on our behalf." And again, again, kudos to them for doing that. But whether whether we use the term, you know, WTA or the Federation or whether we use the term individual athlete, I'm using those synonymously. Understood. Now, there, okay. may be, there may be one athlete, you know, if you wanted to look, there may be a singular basketball player that could lead the players in going to David Silver and saying, hey, look, this is what we want our policies to be. You know, again, I'm not speaking for them at all. But um, the power of protest, to me, is with the athletes right now.
0: Interesting. No, I see what you mean. That's a great point. I mean, obviously you saw it with the NFL players, a lot of them taking a knee during the anthem, uh, obviously the NBA right. players as well. Like you mentioned some of the women's uh, teams and, and, you know, with, with social media and with their ability to connect, you know, easier than ever before. Certainly, you know, if, if, if 10 of the top tennis players got together and said, uh, we're not going to China or any, or any other country for that matter, uh, then th- you're right. Th- I think things would start to happen a little more quickly.
1: Right. I think the challenge here is, is, is the economics, right? So if you've got the top 10 tennis players, and again, I'm, I'm not speaking on the business uh, practices of, of tennis players, but if you look at the top 10, they could probably absorb suspending operations in China. Right. Right, it's really the bottom 10 that Mm -hmm. I'm concerned about. It's those those NBA players that don't have the Nike contract in China. They maybe got an off-brand shoe, and they're sitting on the bench for most of the game their livelihood is significantly impacted, much more impacted than the top players. What are your thoughts on that?
0: No, I agree. I mean, I think, uh, you know, obviously tennis, tennis is a very top-heavy sport, just even without these, these issues that the top players make way more. Um, so it's a, it's, it's a huge issue. There's no doubt about it. You know, most of these players are scrambling, just trying to, I mean, literally make end, ends meet unless you're, you know, a top 10, top, maybe top 50 player in the world. So I think that the, again, that's that's a big part of a tennis players are independent contractors in, in, in many ways, unlike... Athletes from other sports, Uh, but similar to Olympic athletes. But I think for the Olympic athletes, and I want to end with this, uh, Corey, just with the Olympics coming up, you know, obviously you've got Olympic athletes that make far less than, than professional tennis players, you know, whether they're swimmers, whether they're volleyball players, I was lucky enough to go to Stanford on a tennis scholarship and just was blown away by the amount of work and effort, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, well, I'm a big time tennis player. I'm just like a great, a good college player. And there's, there's like Olympic athletes that are world record holders, you know, getting up at four in the morning to go play, uh, go swimming. I'm like, wow, this is another level. So those people, you know, they don't really make money in their sport in the same way that top level tennis players are obviously NBA players. When I was lucky enough to be the captain, the coach of the Olympic team in Athens, you know, you're in the, in the uh, athletes compound with, you know, Charles Barkley and these people like that. It's like, wow. Okay. Uh, so tennis players (laughs) sort of have that, that, that vibe, you know, top tennis players where it's Serena or, or Novak Djokovic, you know, when they're in the village, they're like superstars, but you're right for the run of the mill player. It's trickier, and I think again the international nature of tennis makes it even more uh, tricky for players to sort of feel like they're the ones that have to take uh, the initiative. I guess is my point to back to right. what this means: take the initiative to say, "Okay, we're not going to do this for uh, because of our value system, our moral uh, approach to this." So I think it's it it's it's really tough, but uh, it it seems to me that the Olympics is going to go on. I mean, I don't see any movement from the IOC. And, and if anything, they're just becoming more of a mouthpiece of China. And I haven't seen, you know, should we be putting more pressure on the companies as well that are doing right. business in, with the Olympics and with China?
1: Right. So going back to your point on, on the athletes, you know, maybe the top, the bottom 50, the bottom 100, right? Let's look at the Winter Olympic athletes, right? So the Winter Olympics uh, does not have near the near the, the coverage as the summer games, right? They just don't. Right. And so you're asking one, one winter Olympian for just one, one time in their life, they've got that opportunity. And again, I may be dating myself to get themselves on the Wheaties box. Right. You know what I mean there? (laughs) Yeah, of
0: course. Right. (laughs) Right.
1: Okay. You're asking them to lead the international effort to get China to change. Meanwhile, you've got these multi-billion dollar corporations that are not taking the lead. Right. So I think it's kind of a, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a mismatch there, right? We're not we're not putting the right approach here to, for this strategy. It's, we're asking this person that doesn't have a lot of power. And to your point on the IOC, the inter, Olympic athletes are distributed all over the world, immediately represented represented by their national federations, and then those feed up to the IOC. And so we're asking this speed skater from Finland to like, hey, we need you to be the point person on on leading change in China. I mm-hmm. think that's a little unfair, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? I think the Olympics are going to go on. Uh, the IOC is a very powerful, uh, very powerful organization. I think what's been missed uh, in the long-term outlook here is IOC is no different than FIFA, right? And so this, this is, we're going to have the same discussion, you know, go ahead and put me on your speed dial. I'll, I'll take the call. <laughs> we're going to have the same, we're going to have the same discussion when it comes to sending delegates and uh, to uh, Qatar for World Cup 2022. Right. Right? It, it's gonna happen. Um, we're gonna have the discussion. There's gonna be a human rights discussion. And we're gonna ask, you know, one soccer player who worked their entire life, hey, I need you to be the point person, uh, to lead, to lead human rights changes in, in the UAE. Or, uh, Qatar rather, of me, Qatar. And so I think that's yes, a little unfair, but I'm, I'm excited that the, that the conversation is happening right now. It's really, energizing to see the WTA take the lead on this. I don't think anybody expected that. This is, in strategic terms, what we call a black swan. Mm. Nobody saw this coming, right? When you develop a strategy, you're like, okay, I'm going to make this assumption. You know, this is probably going to be the NBA leading this or maybe the Olympics. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Feng Shui and the WTA. It's like, wow. So I think everybody's kind of reacting to that. Definitely China. China's reacting to that for sure.
0: Captain Corey Ray, everyone, and I got news for you, Corey. Um, I already have you on my speed dial. Okay, so that's a given, and uh, I'm going to come to DC, and I'm on to even maybe you'll let me sit in on your class there at the War College. That that would be awesome. I really appreciate you giving me now just about thirty minutes. I said I'd keep you twenty to twenty-five. So you're you're great. and, and again, thank you for your service. I haven't mentioned that to the country, and you're continuing to serve. We appreciate that very much, and uh, so happy to have you on, and let's stay in touch.
1: We'll do it, Patrick. Whenever, uh, whenever you need anything, give me a shout, and we love to host you here in D.C. Thanks for, thanks for the invitation.
0: That's Corey Ray, everyone here on Holding Court. Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media.